We are glad you are listening to this audio recording produced by Cross Point Presbyterian Church of Park City, Utah. For more information regarding the ministries of Cross Point Presbyterian Church, please visit us online at www.crosspointpca.org. What is the grand narrative or the big story of the Bible? We see this morning in our passage in Psalm 19, kind of an introductory or a stage setting sermon in which we come to know God and his glory and his works of grace and mercy in the world that surrounds us and in our lives personally. So let me ask you this question. How can you know God? How can I know God? How can any of us truly say that we know God? How can we know what God is like? Well, the only way that we could ever know God is through what God has chosen to reveal to us. The only way we can really know God is through what he has decided in his wisdom to make known to us. Specifically, God has chosen two ways to reveal himself. God has chosen to reveal certain truths about himself in creation and in his word, or what you and I call the Bible. Now, theologically, we sometimes talk about this by saying that God reveals himself in two ways. He reveals himself in general and in special revelation. And that word revelation just means the revealing of something in the same way that Penn and Teller, who are famous magicians in Las Vegas, they sometimes will show you kind of the behind the scenes of their illusion. They reveal to you, they give you certain knowledge that you wouldn't have otherwise about how they perform the specific illusions. That's what the word revelation means. It just means a, a giving of information that you or I would not have otherwise. Now, in Christian theology, we refer to Revelation as God's act of communicating to human beings, or sometimes we refer to Revelation as the specific content of that communi- communication. Now, the Belgic Confession, which I spent some time in this week, and I strongly encourage you to spend some time reading through that, in Article 2 summarizes God's revelation this way. We know God by two means. First, by creation, preservation, and the government of the universe. Since that universe is always before our eyes, like a beautiful book, in which all creatures, both great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. Namely, God's eternal power and divinity. The Apostle Paul, he writes about this in Romans chapter 1, when he says all these things are enough to convict human beings and leave every single man, woman, and child without excuse. But secondly, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life, for God's glory and for your and my salvation. Now, that's an excellent summary And coincidentally, is the theme of the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in Psalm 19. So if you would, will you please stand with me as we pray and ask God to bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Father, we do ask that your word would be a light into our path, that you would lead and you would guide us into all the things that we need to know about who you are, about our condition and what you expect from us. The way we might be saved through the glorious gospel of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Psalm 19, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And then he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. 
and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to be seated. This is an incredible psalm of David written about 3,000 years ago. And it instructs you and me about how we are to think about God's word and how we are to feel about God's word. Now, this passage is amazing because it's beautiful. It's poetic. It not only informs what we think, but it reaches the affections of our heart. Now, notice the structure of Psalm 19. You can break it down this way. The truth of God's glory is revealed in the word, in his word, and in the worshiper. So let's first look at how God's glory is revealed in the world. Notice how David begins, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day, they pour out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. David's saying, look, look at creation. As you're driving down Parley's Canyon, look at the mountains on the left and the right side of Interstate 80. As you're skiing this winter, look at the Uintas in the distance. Behold the creation of things that surround. Think of the Alpine lakes as you hike, the moose, the elk, and the multitude of other wonderful created things that you and I encounter and see every single day. He says, think of the sun in the sky and then the millions and millions of stars in the night. David's saying that these are the means by which God is speaking to you and to me and to all of humanity. And David's saying that this is not subtle speech, but it's powerful speak. He's not whispering But he's speaking to all the people on the planet as creation. All of creation is shouting and proclaiming and declaring that God is a God of infinite creativity, of infinite power, and of infinite glory. David's saying that God's creation speaks with wonder and not with spoken word. He goes on, he says, there's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So as David is telling us to look around at all of creation, but to do more than just look. You know, sometimes we look at things, but we don't actually see things. Or we don't perceive certain things. Sometimes we're looking, but we're not really seeing what's really there and what's happening. I'll give you an example. I play golf at Park City Municipal several times every summer. But just this summer, as I was walking from the green of hole number six to the tee box in number seven, I turned around and I looked backwards. Okay, things look a certain way going forward, but they look sometimes entirely different looking back. And for the first time, I noticed a number of very large houses that are built on the side of the mountain. Houses that I had seen before, but had never really seen. Maybe you've experienced that where you see something over and over and you become kind of numb to it. John Piper writes, there are at least two kinds of seeing. There's an active and a passive type of seeing. 
Seeing actively means construing what you see, working on it with your mind to find meaning, not necessarily verbal meaning, but patterns and the designs of an artist. He says, when a trained eye looks at Rembrandt's Paul in prison, he sees more than an untrained eye sees. Why? Because his eyes are active and they construe, while the untrained eye is passive. And he goes on to describe the difference between the person who goes to see the Mona Lisa and a person who sits on the couch and watches a television program. David's saying that, the God, that God's glory is being revealed to you and to me and the whole world. There's a voice that goes out through all the earth and their words go to the ends of the world. And then he gives to us a specific example in the sun. He says, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man, he runs its course with joy and its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Think about it. Every single day, in every single place of the world, the sun rises. And people look forward to it. And the sun sets. People go to specific, beautiful, scenic places in order to watch that happening. God is revealing to us, to you, to me, to every single person on the planet, with each sunrise and with each sunset, the beauty and the majesty and the power of who He is. If you and I are willing to listen, then it's a powerful sermon that gets preached every single day. And the reason why, I think one of the reasons why it gets preached every single day is because we need to be reminded over and over and over again. David's saying that the sun declares the glory of God. The heavens proclaim his handiwork. They pour out speech and the night reveal knowledge about who God is. The danger for you and me especially in Park City, probably in other places and other times in history as well, the danger for us is we kind of have adopted this New Age worldview in which we substitute the Creator with creation. David's saying that creation is distinct and unique and totally separate from God. And that creation, while it's beautiful and wonderful, is really actually pointing to the beauty and the wonder of the Creator. So we're not New Age pantheists who think that there is some eminent God that's in everything and is everything. No, we make very clear distinctions. There is a God and he is distinct from everything that he created. There is a creation and we wonder and we marvel at its complexity and its beauty. But that creation is not to be worshipped. So there's a distinct difference between God and what God has made. We believe that God made all things that we see all things in our universe. Again, going back to the Belgic Confession in Article 12, this is what we believe, that the Father, when it seemed good to Him, created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing by the power of the Word. That is to say, by the Son. God has given all creatures their being, form, and appearance, and their various functions for serving their Creator. And even now, God also sustains and governs them all according to His eternal providence and by his infinite power. So there's something so immense, so incredible about the glory of God that it can't be conveyed simply through spoken word. It has to be communicated through creation. And God, because he's wise and because he's good, knew that we could only sense it, that we could only experience it, that we could only be, behold it. 
And he does that so that you and I might be in awe of him and we might respond with awe and wonder. And a God who is creative, a God who is wise, a God who is powerful, and a God who is glorious. This we talk about as the general revelation. It's given to all of humanity, to anyone who can see it's there. But it's not sufficient. It's not enough to give us the knowledge of who God is, of his will, and specifically what is necessary for you and I to be saved. General revelation does not reveal the person of Jesus or his work in redemption for sinners. So we need something else, and that we refer to as special revelation. Special revelation reveals to us the character of God, the way of salvation. One of the most important biblical texts referring to special revelation is found in the New Testament book of Hebrews, the first two verses, chapter 1, in which we read this. Now long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So before scripture was completed, before the fullness of God's special revelation, what we see the author of Hebrews saying is that he spoke to us of prophets. And sometimes he did that in visions and dreams. But now he's given to us the definitive word. He has spoken to us. Through the word of God, his son, Jesus. So special revelation has received a permanent form in the form of what you and I refer to as the Holy Scriptures. The Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, which we call the word of God. So we see that God reveals himself in the glory of creation, but he also reveals his glory in the specific revelation of the scripture. And we see David continue by giving us a repetition of what the word of God is and what it does. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book titled, He is There and He is Not Silent. And the implication is that God is speaking in specific ways that you and I can know and understand. God is saying, I am here. And I have made it possible for my people to be saved from their sins. And he does that through the scriptures. Now, the New Testament confirms this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in which we read, All scripture is inspired by God. 2 Peter chapter 1, No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. So word, the word of God comes to us from God himself. The men who wrote it, they wrote it in their own voice, but they wrote it inspired and moved along by God's Holy Spirit. So what do we see about the word of God? Well, David says the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. So there's instruction. There's direction that points you and I in the ways that we should go. In the areas of what is right and what is true and what is good. And away from the areas of destruction and death and evil. He goes on, he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. So scripture, he's saying, is God's own witness of himself and his works and his actions in our world. It provides and shows us what we have in Jesus. And you can be confident that this testimony is certain and true. It gives wisdom to the simple. David continues, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's word is never wrong. We can always rely on God's word to provide us with truth and accuracy. 
I don't know how many of you watched this week, but for me, it looked like it was wall-to-wall coverage of Brett Kavanaugh, the nominated potential Supreme Court justice. And there was this one question that kept being offered over and over again about whether or not he considered Roe versus Wade as settled law. And in my estimation, he reasoned correctly that Roe versus Wade is not settled law and that at any point in time it could be overturned. Now, you and I, as God's people, should be praying that that law would be overturned, but it would be done so in a constitutionally correct way. Why? Because sometimes the Supreme Court gets it wrong. Consider in 1857 what most consider the worst Supreme Court ruling in history. Uh, It was when Dred Scott, when they decided that African Americans, whether they were free men or slaves, could not be considered American citizens. And as time passed, we recognized the error. We saw that God that uh, they had gotten it wrong, and we changed that. And I think we changed it, and we made it a right decision. Sometimes the Supreme Court makes erroneous laws and enacts those laws. Sometimes it needs to be corrected. But God's precepts, David says, are always right, and they're calls for rejoicing. He goes on, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. When pastor writes here again, we see the inseparable link between God's word and the work of his spirit. God has ordained that the eye opening work of the spirit would always be combined with the mind informing work of his word. So if we're going to see and be changed and transformed by the spirit, then it always comes in conjunction with the spirit working through God's revealed work. If we want our eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us these things by God's work. The work of the Spirit and the work of God's Word always go hand in hand together. The Spirit's work is to show us the beauty and the glory of Christ and His righteousness and to convict us of our own sin and our need for the Savior. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. David has in mind here the fear of God that's the beginning of wisdom. And he says that the word endures forever. We don't have to worry about it going away, but it will always do what God has sent it to accomplish. Lastly, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. When you take all of these together, what you see is this wonderful revelation of who God is and how he has been at work in the world. In the Reformation, we have five sets of sola statements. One of them is sola scriptura, in which we say scripture is the only infallible rule of faith and practice for the church. Why? Because only scripture is God-breathed special revelation that we possess today. So nothing can supersede the authority of scripture in the rule and faith and practice of God's people. So another way to say is scripture is sufficient We have everything we need. We don't have everything we might want, but we have everything that God in his wisdom has chosen to give us to determine what we should believe, how we should act, the way we should live before a holy God. So the sufficiency of Scripture indicates that you and I no longer need special revelation for faith and life as the redeemed people of God. The Bible is enough. Lastly, we see 
that the glory of God's revealed in the worshiper. God's revealed himself through the world around us. He's revealed himself through his word. But lastly, we see him revealed in the worshiper. Which the worshiper's heart says that the scriptures are to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold, that they satisfy, they're sweeter also than the honey or the drippings of the honeycomb. He says, moreover, by them is your servant warmed, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. How does that happen? How does God declare sinners innocent? He does it through the work and the death and the teaching and the resurrection of Jesus. God's character is revealed and his people are transformed as we come to know this knowledge. Here, David's praying that scriptures would have an effect, a transformational effect on him, and that he would respond appropriately to what God has made known. There would be repentance for sin. There would be the purification of sin. There would be a delight in the very character and nature of who God is. Many of you may be familiar with the story of Helen Keller. She's from Tuscumbia, Alabama, very close to where we used to live. Our daughter, Hattie Margaret, actually did a project on her in one of her school projects. But she was born blind, deaf, and unable to speak. She had a tutor named Ann Sullivan who was very patient and just would not give up and persisted in teaching Helen Keller how to finally communicate. She began by writing in her hands letters. Then she taught her to read Braille. She even taught her how to speak by the age of 10. Sometime thereafter, the story goes that Helen Keller was introduced to Phillips Brooks, a famous Episcopal preacher from Boston. They sat knee to knee. And this pastor, Phillips Brooks, began to help tell Helen Keller, writing on her hand, the story of Jesus. After a little while, the story goes that she jumped up and croaked out, I knew him. I knew him. I just didn't know his name. So she knew there were certain truths about who God is and who God had been in her life. But Phillips Brooks came to her with a special revelation of the Bible of who Jesus is and how he has worked in this world to reveal to her what she had only seen in shadows. Phillips Brooks proclaimed from the scriptures the story of God's salvation and it clicked in her mind. She would later write, the Bible is the record of man's efforts to find God and to learn how to live in harmony with his laws. She came to know not only the general truth of God that's revealed in creation, but the special and specific revelation of God's love for her, a sinner. Have you come to experience that same love that God has for you in Christ Jesus? Or are you just kind of worshiping God in a generic and abstract way? So you'll never really experience the full truth that God has made known, except through the person of Jesus. And by confessing that he came to die on the cross and save his people from their sins. That's the specific truth that God works in the hearts of his people to save them out of darkness and to bring them into the kingdom of his marvelous light. This morning, my prayer is that you and I would come to love and to cherish God's word, to come to know and to appreciate the story of the Bible and the infinite glory of God that's revealed to us through it. Let's pray.